Welcome to the Business of Race podcast, where we discuss issues of race and racism, the impacts they have on businesses, and what employers can do to effectively address these issues to create a healthier work environment for everyone. I'm your host, Regina Newkirk-Rucci, the Director of Equity for 90 Forward. And today I am joined in the conference room by uh, the woman who does it all, who has all of the titles, who does all of the things, the Vice President of Public Policy and Community Engagement for Feeding Northeast Florida, the co-founder for Just Food Network, and all-around amazing human being and 904 Forward volunteer, Lorraine Husband. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's so good. You know, I always love spending time with you and uh, having an opportunity to talk with you. So I'm really looking forward to this. And we've got a a really important topic that impacts a lot of people, but, um, you know, isn't really talked about that much uh, to get to. But before we do that, I always like to start with just something a little fun, a little personal, um, our time at the water cooler. And just thinking about being outside, being in nature, I know you are a nature person. So what is your favorite thing to do in nature? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm I'm just like, nature's where the bugs are. So (laughs) that's not necessarily my go-to. But what is is your favorite thing to do in nature? Um, I have so many, but um, the ones that I think of is running and hiking. Mm. So what makes a good hike? So I went hiking once and I was like, I'm just out of breath. I don't get it. So (laughs) what makes for a good hike? Um, The diversity of the flora and fauna of the, you know, in the environment, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like if you're going on a hike, for example, in Jacksonville, you might think that one hike is one hike. Or one hike will address all, but we have such different terrain and we have such different vegetations growing in different places. And also the amenities, uh, you know, Jacksonville has the largest uh, park system in Mm -hmm. the country. Mm -hmm. So there I have yet, I mean, every weekend we hike a different park and I have been here since 2010 and we have yet to finish hiking Jacksonville. Wow. Yes. Wow. So, and also it depends on who you're with. So if I'm with my grandchildren, which I usually am, then you're looking for a terrain that's not going to be too difficult. You also want to make sure that it has amenities like bathrooms, uh, water. Uh, Usually I have the water on my backpack, but you know, that sometimes matter if you're going long distances. And then uh, last weekend, I noticed that we currently are in lots of tick season. So making sure that you bring your bug spray and before you get back into your vehicles making sure everybody checks for ticks and sometimes you have to dethrobe to Mm. check for ticks in places that Mm -hmm. you might not think of Mm -hmm. yes okay yeah that doesn't encourage me to uh the hiking but really important and I'm also just going to throw out there because I try to be a big proponent of it also if you're going hiking please 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 even with highly melanated skin wear sunscreen yes um, um, so important. So, and then to talk, you know, bring hiking back to the issue of food security. I also look out for edible plants and medicinal plants in nature. Uh, so this last hike, we were actually collecting uh, edible plants, mm. and uh, we were also collecting tree sap. Some tree sap can be used as a natural uh, shampoo and soaps. And I have family members who that's all they use to cleanse their bodies. So mm-hmm. we harvested a lot of tree sap. 
So, okay, so a little bit of an aside, because now now you're into more of the hobby that I might be into, but I don't know, because I know my grandmother was really good as far as different uh, plants and herbs and things for medicinal purposes, but she knew them. I have no clue. That just, that looks like a plant and that looks like a different plant. So how do you go about sort of building your knowledge of edible plants, of medicinal plants, of even how to get tree sap. How do you go about building that knowledge? What's a good way to do that? Um, the way that I have found you, so I, I grew up, you know, I was raised by my grandmother. So I too learned from my grandmother what those things are. But having grown up in Kenya, the things that were available in Kenya are not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, in the U.S., those things are different. So I, you know, I partner with a lot of elders in this community who teach me their food ways. I also do a lot of research. There's a lot of Facebook um, um, naturalists groups. In fact, one of the, uh, I follow this forager, she's a young African-American woman on Facebook who will teach you, like show you the pictures of the plants, what you can do with them, what if they have a nutritional content, how you can prepare them, and if they're medicinal, how you can extract the medicine from the plant and preserve it. So there's a lot of foraging groups for medicinals on Facebook that I follow, but there's also a lot of books that you can borrow from the library, and if you know the viewer are interested, I would definitely be uh, willing to share. And Just Food Network will actually be teaching those classes and uh, really showing people how to treat yourself using everything that's around you. Well, that's wonderful. I love that. Uh, Just really getting back to nature. And I think, uh, you know, in this this era of quick turnaround and instant food, which I'm like, mm, I don't know that it's really food, uh, you know, getting back to the earth and the things that are growing up that can really nourish us well yes. uh, is fantastic. So that's, that's great. And we'll get more information about Just Food Network um, toward the end of the show. But as we talk about this sort of transition, you said food insecurity, which is our agenda topic today. Right. We know that a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say that we know that, but a very high percentage of people struggle with food security. I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I don't have access to quality food. I can't afford food. Um, All of these food security issues. Right. And so on this podcast, when we're talking about businesses and corporations. And this to me is under that equity as well as inclusion, right? We want to make sure we are meeting the needs of all of our employers. And if you are an employer of a large number of people, more than likely you have some people who are facing food insecurity. What are some things that corporations really ought to be aware of and doing as it relates to food insecurity? Um. Right off, it's the high cost of food right now. So, um, for example, before, right before COVID, I think the, um, the average gallon of milk was between $2.59 to maybe $3.15. And I have seen, um, the prices of a gallon of milk go up to $4. So if people are still making the same income, and that's just, you know, like we look at the prices of bread, milk, and eggs, Eggs. some essentials. Oh, my goodness. You know, I I bake. 
So I usually buy 18 eggs and I could not believe it's over $8 yes. for 18 eggs. Yes. So definitely the cost of food just sort of dramatically went up Yes, in some, what was it, basic, um, basic food needs. Exactly. And in fact, I just saw today a report I was reading that the price of canned goods is going to go up by between 30 to 80 cents more. So just a can of beans, and that's, you know, that's another essential. So if a can of beans, before COVID, the average can of beans was about 55 cents to 85 cents. Mm-hmm. And that went up, went up by 40 to 80 cents. Wow. So, and now, so I mean, that's almost close to 100% increase in yes, some cases. Yes. Wow. And so, and so now we have imposed some new tariffs that are going to impact uh, tin producers, which means that our prices on our canned products will also go up again. Wow. So for individuals who are relying on canned products, shelf-stable foods to make ends meet, those individuals uh, will have to make some really difficult decisions. Uh, so employers paying attention to prices and recognizing that those prices, especially almost every corporation that has uh, what we call frontline workers, those frontline workers for the most part are not making ends meet. Um, and, you know, it's it's difficult to look at food security, Regina, without also looking at overall social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. Because when we see people in our food lines, it's not because sometimes that they're not making enough money. In fact, 40 to 60 percent of um, individuals who are working low and middle income class are coming to our food pantries or are coming to our food lines. And the reason is all those other things that they need to exist have gone up so high. You know, for example, an apartment right before COVID was probably between 800 to to $1,000. That same apartment is probably $1,600. Mm-hmm. So... N- If the salary continues to remain the same, whether it's a recession, inflationary period, or it's because of the pandemic, people are struggling. And the average person making up to, I think, 65 and sometimes $80,000 a year is still food insecure in this community. And so I think this is a really important part because we as a society, I think, tend to think of Food insecurity for people who are homeless or people who are unemployed, right? Or people maybe who have a part-time job and are making four to $10,000 a year. But food insecurity, as you said, it, it's everything, right? I have to think about the cost of transportation. In the state of Florida, I know the cost of my housing insurance went up. I know the cost of my car insurance went up, you know, and not just a little bit. A lot, right? Uh, again, those food prices that we talked about, the cost of healthcare, all these other things that you have to do to live and exist. Right. Um, and, you know, if you've got illnesses and you've got a tremendous number of prescriptions, all of those things can add up. And so people are having to choose where they can, where how they can make ends meet, or I can't make the ends meet, so which ends am I going to try to address? Right. And what's going, usually food is the last thing on that list of priorities. You know, I'm going to figure something out. You know, I was just talking to a gentleman who manages um, a T-Mobile store last night, you know, about food. And, you know, as we were joking and I was asking him, you know, he was telling me what he's getting ready to eat for dinner. He's like, oh, I'm just going to eat a can of, um, you know, uh, like SpaghettiOs 
and ramen. And I said, oh, dude, that's not food. That's product that really does nothing nutritionally for your body. So why is it that that's the only choice you have? You know, and I told him what I do. I said, why don't you try to access one of our food pantries? You know, and because we have a lot of fresh, you know, produce and uh, fresh meat, etc. And he said, based on the hours I work, none of the food pantries are available. So, you know, talking about corporations, it's really important to have, to know your employees for one, Mm -hmm. to know that that, you know, if I was a manager to this individual, hopefully we would have a good enough relationship that I would know that he's struggling and that I can be flexible in how I schedule him so that he has access to food pantries if that's the thing that he needs. Mm -hmm. So flexible scheduling without even changing somebody's salary might be the thing that an organization can do to allow them to be able to access that service so that they can make ends meet and not have to rely on processed product, which is actually doing more damage to their body than it is helping. And I think that's important, right? Because if we start talking about what corporations need to do to address this, number one is I think you have to be aware of where your employees are. Yes, Two, and I'm just going to say it, I think you have to pay people a livable wage. Yes. Period. I think we have been skirting around that issue and we have too many people who are trying to piece together jobs and, and money to be able to just do basic things in life. Yes. That's not the society that we really want to have. And so we really are going to have to look at how we distribute money within our organizations and pay people what they need to, to live in the society. Um, But flexible scheduling, I think, is really important. I would also say putting with that the information, right? I think you have to take some of the stigma away because unfortunately we have associated a stigma with going to a food pantry or needing assistance. Um, But the more you put the information out, you put it available so that people who can take advantage of that know. Right. um, Because... Is there a reason that you don't list food pantries on your HR website or that you have um, opportunities for people to go and support food pantries as well? So I think really combining flexibility with information is going to be really key in allowing employees to know these are benefits that you can sign up for and you can get and take advantage of. Yes, most definitely. You know, I get sometimes, you know, I've received calls from organizations asking, you know, some major organizations asking how we as a nonprofit uh, that's part of the Feeding America Network, how we can support their uh, their employee needs. And um, and I had the same discussion with them. The first thing you can do is to assess how much you're paying them. And uh, and then, you know, most of them are mostly interested in how we can help them to establish an on-site food pantry, which is another strategy. Uh, you know, so if an organization is not able to pay people more, but uh, would like to establish an on-site food, food pantry, and I've seen those type of models work really well, uh, that it's destigmatized and almost um, having food access and healthcare access on-site mm-hmm. uh, usually goes together with a lot of other nonprofits and organizations that I've seen so that individuals do not have to leave work to go look for food Mm -hmm. or to go look for medical care. They can do it all at the same and then do the, uh, you know, food as medicine program to where now we're linking their health care and food 
together mm -hmm. because we can, you know, if somebody is diabetic or they have cardiovascular disease or any other nutrition-related disease or life behavior-type diseases, if we can help them address the nutrition deficits that they have uh, or, you know, steer them to the right pr food prescription that they ought to be eating mm -hmm. to help their body heal, then we see better outcomes. We see more productivity in our employees when all those things happen. And when you remove the things that are worrying your workforce off the table, your workforce is not only present, but is more productive. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a huge benefit. And I think that's also something to think about for employers who are located in rural communities. You know, we've been doing some work um, throughout the state of Florida and we've been in some communities where there isn't a grocery store. Yes. And so if people are doing their grocery shopping at Dollar General or Family Dollar, we're back to those products as opposed to food. Yes. Right? And so maybe some type of on-site where there is fresh vegetables, uh, fruit, things that come from the ground, Right, um, that people can access. Correct. That's that are much healthier choices. Again, you have healthier employees; they're going to be more productive. Uh, they're going to be happier, and again, that stress is removed. So, also uh, a great solution there. Yeah, and in that case, where you know, in the rural communities or in communities where folks don't have access to you know markets and grocery stores, uh, the I would challenge those corporations that are hiring in those areas to be the advocate um, that advocates for markets to be developed in those areas. Uh, you know, and maybe there is no reason why, if, especially if you're a big employer in a rural area, why a market cannot be co-located on your grounds mm -hmm. so that employees could potentially shop on your grounds before they go home and also uh, create that asset for that rural community that possibly the, you know, through the, you know, governmental agencies, maybe they haven't been able to figure that as a solution, but do it selfishly to ensure that you are able to gain as much productivity as possible for your employees while also meeting a very important social determinant of health and right. wellness. Right. I yeah. mean, and it's just, I, there's so many wins in that for you as an employer, right? Because you are investing in the community which you're located. Right. You've got convenience for your employees. You're providing quality um, items that your employees need to be healthier, which then reduce healthcare costs, reduces absenteeism, increases productivity, and generally just makes for a happier, better community. Right. And I think we really are going to, I know we make a lot of decisions based on money. And even at the end of this, there's still a financial gain for you. But we really are going to go back to how we make for better people and a better community, a better society to really get the best outcome for everyone. Right. And employees knowing that you're invested in not only them while they're at work, but you're also invested in them when they're off work um, makes a huge difference. Which means you're really invested in me, right? Yes. Yes. All right. So as we wrap this up, we think about, we've sort of talked about this big issue of food insecurity. Um, and it does seem really big. But for employers, if you're thinking about one big takeaway from our conversation, just the one thing I really want you to focus on or the one thing that I think you should do, what would you say that would be for employers? Wages. 
it, it all comes down to wages. The reason our folks are struggling is because they're not making enough money to keep pace with the inflation and the rising prices in community. And uh, if, if an employer is not able to pay those wages, but an employer has, for example, a tuition um, program, uh, a college benefit that they offer, um, a workforce development program that they offer, they need to sit down with their employees to find out if there are any existing barriers for those employees not to be able to access those programs. And those barriers could be as simple as, I don't have any child care, or I don't have uh resources to pay for my books. Um, you know, I, I found in my research in Jacksonville, I found that we have 50 uh, Fortune 500 companies that offer college uh, reimbursement um, opportunities. But most of those corporations, nobody's taking advantage of those programs. Mm. And the reason they're not is because one, transportation access, the cost of books, uh, the front, uh, the idea that you have to pay up front and then get reimbursed by a company. If you're already struggling, you don't have that as an opportunity. So really sit down with your employees because we know that if they take advantage of those tuition programs, college opportunities, that will also result in them increasing their wages. And if you're already providing this as a benefit, figure out why your employees are not accessing it and um, work on addressing those barriers. Well, that nabbit, Lorene, you took all of my, my big takeaway too. So, um, <laughs> because I think it's, it really is it's those two things. You have to look at how much you're paying people. Yes. Flat out. Um, but I think it's also, you have to know what's going on with your employees. If you don't know that because $60,000 may be great salary and provide everything for one person, but it might not if I've got two aging parents that I'm also caring for and I've got um, a high medical bills. I've got, you know, some, I had a car accident that I'm having to pay off. Um, my house is underwater and I am up to my eyeballs in student loans different situations make for different accountings. And that's not to say that um, you have to then go in and adjust people's wages according to their situations. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that you need to know what your employees need so that you can have benefits packages that really benefit your employees. Right. Right. And again, as you said, what are some of the things that I maybe I already offer that I can take off of your plate? What are some things that I can get creative or connect you to services that can assist you in other ways? Um, but let me help you deal with some of the financial burdens that you have so that food isn't last and you were really getting good quality food. You can afford that. So um, really looking at the overall health and well-being of each employee but you've got to know what your employee situations are to really be able to do that effectively. Yes, you do. All right. Well, Lorraine, this is such uh, an important topic, a timely topic, and I really hope that we've got a lot of people who have taken advantage in listening to this because I really don't think that people know that food insecurity is as large a problem as it is, but I'm hoping that they will take something from this and um, really, really implement a few solutions in their uh, in places of work to help our employees uh, be more secure with food. So 
Thank you so much for joining us in the conference room today. This has been a great conversation. And you know, you're always such a delight. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Great. And thank you for joining us. We love that you're with us in the conference room. If you enjoyed being here today, please be sure to click that subscribe button so you can continue to be notified of our new content. We like to be liked. So click the like button as well. It helps our message reach more viewers. Thank you so much for joining us in the conference room and we'll see you next week. Take care.